Hi, everyone. This is Lindsay, one of the hosts of Yield Crime. Just wanted to give you a heads up that since you were listening to an earlier episode of Yield Crime, you may notice that the audio quality isn't the best. It does get better, I promise. If you are willing to stick with it, great. If you'd rather start with better quality audio, I would suggest skipping ahead to episode 19 when we purchased newer, better audio equipment. And on that note, thank you for listening and on with the show. Was that you? The dog? Was that a door on your... Oh, yeah. I, I live right by the entrance. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, something happened. Was it last night? I think it was last night. Um, my neighbor is like a young man. A young boy. And hey there, hey there boy. <laughs> I know that sounded really creepy. I regretted, I regretted my word choice like the second. I was like, you're a young man. Um, but there was lots of like weird banging and like people falling downstairs maybe like all night like a la jackass there wasn't laughing though (laughs) was he like rolling bodies down the stairs or he's a nice young man i don't know it could be just every once in a while he keeps me up all night pushing bodies down the stairs he's a nice isn't that how it happened i wonder if he knows that somebody died in his apartment I wonder if it's haunted and it's the ghost of the person that died and they're just like somersaulting down the stairs. <laughs> oh, she would be so, no, it actually, it would be more realistic of her dragging her cart of groceries up the stairs. Oh. You know, that like metal cart, <laughs> it like clangs. <laughs> Is that the noise? Oh my God, it's the haunted grocery yeah. cart. Spoopy. Spoopy doo. Yeah. All right. Hi. Ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Hello and welcome to Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me, as always, is my co-host and sister, Maddie Sangle. Hello. How are you? I know we've already been talking. Yeah, we've been talking for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm good. I'm a little delirious. It feels like it's Thursday, but it's not. Every day is Thursday. Just feels like a never ending amount of Thursdays. And then Monday throws in and you're like, wait, I thought it was Thursday. How quarantine is for me. How about you? How are you? I'm good. I woke up this morning a little bit later than I intended and then frantically ran downstairs to take the trash can to the end of the street because Wednesday is trash day. And by the time I got downstairs and like finished doing that and got back inside, I was like, I could go back to sleep, but I'm already out of bed and I have pants on. So I should probably just make some coffee and stay up. I do really like the coffee that Thomas got me. I was very pleasantly surprised by the coffee that he... The turmeric one? Yeah. It's good. Now, do you have like a Keurig kind of thing or... So I have two coffee makers. I have my Nespresso, which I haven't used in a while. Ooh. What's the like? What's the difference? The Nespresso, the pods are more expensive. 
it's higher quality coffee. Yes. So it doesn't taste like, you know how when you have coffee from like a Keurig and stuff where it's got a little bit of that like metallic taste to it? No. Or like a chlorine type taste to it? Like where you can taste the quality of the water basically whenever you use a Keurig or something. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just... You're a connoisseur. I've never experienced that. Maybe I'm just, a, I am just the biggest coffee snob. Mine's a Hamilton Beach. I don't know. Actually, my second one yeah. is a Hamilton Beach, I think. Okay. No, it's Bella brand. Yep, that's what I have. And it's a single cup that I've jerry-rigged, that I've jerry-rigged because it had like a metal screen that you would use to put the grounds in. Mm. And I didn't like using that because then it would taste like metal. So instead I use, um, Cause there's like the plastic thing that you put the metal thing in and then it, you know, pours through. I don't like the metal thing. I think I actually threw it away. I was like, fuck this shit. Ooh. Um, you're garbage. Okay. So, um, I use the little like circular filters. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like the ones that you would put in a normal, like air pot type mm-hmm. coffee brewer. Um, and I just put two tablespoons in that and I kind of like ball it up inside the thing <laughs> and it tastes great sounds like a very complicated morning routine <laughs> it's actually not that bad it's, it's actually kind of like i'll be sitting there and i have all my grounds i put in this little coffee can i just keep refilling the coffee can because mm-hmm. it's easier than getting the bag out and then like struggling with opening the bag because you're tired and you don't want to do that and it takes forever i have mine timed so I have my Hamilton Beach single thing that I got for Christmas because I don't buy things for myself <laughs> that, that I would use forever. I would rather um, spend it on something I don't need. Anyway. Um, like candles. Oh, my God. Candles with crystals on them. After How are they? They're really great. I actually... <laughs> so... I bought, I may or may not have been in a melatonin induced stupor at three in the morning and put six, six candles with different crystals in my cart and bought them from Instagram. <laughs> like the whitest girl in the universe oh my god i can't tell you how much shit i have bought off of instagram ads and i know it i'm like god this ad got me again how do they know me so well i'm like god damn it i know how they know me so well because i work in digital marketing <laughs> so every time i see one of those ads i'm like oh fuck you well they got me because i had so I'm usually a cheap lady when it comes to candles and I get my candles from Marshall's and I do the DW home. Uh, Typically it's a floral scent. I'm a big fan of their lavender and chamomile, Uh, but I haven't been to Marshall's in forever because of the quarantine. So I went to the DW home website and it was just expensive enough like it's literally half off at Marshall's. So I was having a really hard time validating the price. And then these candles with crystals like come into my life and they're like, we're $3 less than the DW Holmes ones. And we have crystals in them. And I was like, I don't know what you smell like. 
guess I'll throw $90 at you. And I can't believe I threw $90 at it. And I, I was laughing with Erica because she was like, how are they? And I, I have them like strategically placed on my um, little end table by my bed and like a little seance circle Ooh. and I lit them up all at the same time they're all totally different scents so it, it smelled <laughs> like um it smelled like a tarot card place like a headshot basically yeah so it was like I could totally I was like I could read your fortune now you know maybe oh what that makes okay so all this checks out you know the lady this is my neighbor that died I have my seance candles running and then her ghost took her grocery cart up the stairs. And that's what all that banging was last night. I saw, I summoned her with my crystal candles. She was like, I love the smell of head shops. How did you and know, Maddie? Like, Is that chamomile? <laughs> and lavender? Is that the smell of juicy fruits? I swear to God, that was one of the descriptions. <laughs> It's like it's the smell of a of a juicy fruit, and I picked it, Lindsay. I love how you picked like old lady candles, and you summoned the ghost of your dead neighbor of an old woman, your dead elderly neighbor, and she's just like, "Yes, a kindred spirit." <laughs> I'm single, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And ready to mingle. I have a love. I have a love candle. You bitches better watch out when that crystal gets out of there. I have my mood. My mood table all ready to go. <laughs> I have so much love. It's like the zombie apocalypse outside. It's just like a bunch of men throwing themselves at the building, being like, "I need to get inside." Have you seen those TikToks of? There's like a oh a mom who's just sitting standing looking out her window with a coffee in her robe and she's like what are all those boys doing in those in my yard and she goes my milkshakes (laughs) (laughs) i've seen like five of them and i laugh every time it's just like this (laughs) super tired looking mom with like a bathrobe (laughs) <laughs> her hair's all messed up but she's drinking coffee tiktok it's not just for you this <laughs> it's for the older gens as well okay so today we are going to be covering a new topic lay it on me okay we are going to be talking about sarah ho how sarah how <laughs> i mean she was a hoe let's be clear but <laughs> I'm so scandalized and interested. You're like, ooh, do tell. That that name is familiar. Sarah Howe and the Ladies Deposit Company. I will go into it. That could be so dirty. The Ladies Deposit Company? What, like her coin purse? Like actual money, not like... Ladies. Is this like a con man story? This is a total con artist story. All right. And it's before the 1900s? Damn. All right. Let's do it. All right. 
Information for this uh, episode was pulled from a 2012 Gizmodo article by Keith Veronese. I probably said that horribly wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, a 2018 Nidorama article by Miss Selenia. I just now got what that yeah. name means. Yep. Yep. You didn't when you were reading it? No. I didn't put two and two together. Miss Selenia. Yeah. I love that. Whoever you are, you are a literary genius. Uh, <laughs> a 2018 Mental Floss article by Alana Muhammad. A 2019 Mel Magazine article by Isabel Cohn. And last but not least, our favorite friend, Wikipedia. All hail. All hail. The Dark Lord Wikipedia. Please throw some money at Wikipedia because they are amazing. I'll light some candles. They do God's work. Um, I will have links to all these articles in the show notes. So obviously we have banking regulations now. Right. And they were put into place because of people like Charles Ponzi. Yep. And Bernie Madoff. Yep. But 40 years before Ponzi became a household name, there was Sarah Howe and her ladies deposit company, which was one of the OG Ponzi schemes. Wow. So why didn't they call them Howe schemes? Because she was a woman. Why would they name something cool like that after a woman? Well, and Ponzi's just kind of a fun name. It is. It rolls off the tongue. It really does. So before we dive into it, I feel like I should explain what a Ponzi scheme is on the off chance you don't know what a Ponzi scheme is. So basically, it's where you get money from investors and you pay off your initial investors using the money from new investors. So you're constantly relying on a cycle of recruitment in order to prevent this entire ruse you have of disintegrating. And the general premise is, oh, if you give me X amount of money, I will invest it for you and you'll get this great return. And the interest that you make on this initial investment is going to be amazing. Like it's going to be so profitable. You're going to like double your investment over the span of like six months or a year, whatever they end up selling you on. But usually there's limitations to how much money they'll let you take out. So there'll be something where like you'll ask somebody, how's Ivana doing? Oh, it's doing great. A few months later, how's Ivana doing? Oh, it's doing great. Same thing. And then like fourth time you ask, hey, I'd like to withdraw some funds from that. And you know that uh, a really lucrative investment. And they're like, you know what? It's not a good time. It's not a good time to take money out of that. And of course, you don't think anything of it because you're like, okay, well, you're the investor. I trust you. I trust you. And then, you know, however many months down the road is when you see them on the news and you're like, ah, fuck. That is how a Ponzi scheme works. That is why I don't have a savings account. That's the real reason. <laughs> it's because of people like Ponzi. It's the real reason. No, I do have a savings account. Yeah. So we'll go into the history of Sarah Howe and sort of how she got into this cool, super fun idea. There you go. So not much is really known about her early life. Uh, They know that she was born in Providence, Rhode Island, but it's really unclear if she was born in like 1820 or if she was born as late as 1827. There's really 
yeah, there's like this huge window where people aren't quite sure when she was born. That's strange. Yeah. Is it because like she had different identities so they couldn't nail down what her real birth was or was it just common to kind of like lose that information at the time? I'm not sure because like part of me is wondering too if perhaps her family immigrated at some point in the early 1800s and they didn't have paperwork for when she was born. I have no idea. She was reportedly married to a man named James Solomon, but the marriage had to be annulled due to the fact that it was a mixed race relationship. Oh, yeah. Um, The sources that I found online allude to the fact that she was married to a Native American, which was really frowned upon in the early 1800s. Not very progressive about the whole mixed race. Wow. Relationships. But like, good for her. Get it. Yeah. Sorry, it didn't work out. Uh, And then in 1852, she married a man named Florimund L. Howe. Wow, Florimund. I know. You don't hear that name anymore. No. Hey, hipsters, bring that name back. What's his nickname? Flory? Uh, I hope it was... I hope it was Flory. Mund. (laughs) Hey, Mundy. Mundy. That's cute. Uh, Yeah. So she married Mundy in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the couple moved to Boston, Massachusetts following the Civil War. Her second marriage ended when her husband passed, and there really aren't any details available on when or how he died. Interesting. Yep. So all we know is that she was widowed at the age of 24. Dang. But that was actually probably pretty common if it was around the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. So during that time, she worked as a fortune teller and clairvoyant, where she would place her fingers at her temples, scrunch up her face in concentration, and then predict her patron's fortunes. Wow. Yeah. So basically, she just pretended she was taking a really like satisfying dump. I was just going to say. And, and oh, it was yeah. just like, mm, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so Sarah also held a variety of positions that were not always honest or legal. You mean fortune telling is not honest or legal? Oh, the one she did after that. So that was just like... Her, her first hustle dipping her toe in the just dipping her toe into the great big nasty waters of Elise yep yeah. uh, other positions she held included working as a physician nope which she was nope completely unqualified for what and she also worked several stints in Boston area sanitariums oh god where she worked with mentally ill patients. Oh, uh, she she created so many ghosts. Yep. No. She also spent a number of weeks in jail in 1875 after taking out multiple loans on the same collateral. Uh, but that sentence was eventually overturned. Because she was a lady? I don't know. Probably. She's a doctor. She's a doctor and a widow. She's a lady doctor and her husband died maybe of the Civil War. We don't know. And then in April of 1879, at the age of 53, she came up with her biggest scheme yet, the Ladies Deposit Company. So 
Sarah Howe established the Ladies Deposit Company in 1879 as a savings bank in an unassuming brick building in Boston's South Side. The premise was that it was a safe financial institution for women, run by a woman, and only for women. You know, I was also hesitant when Bic came out with pens for women. But now that I have one, my dainty wrists no longer hurt and I feel seen. I get it. This was not an ad. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that stuff because there's there's such a a niche for that, you know, like women. There are certain groups that like if you cater just to them, they get so excited and they'll literally do whatever you say. Yeah. And she went after this demographic specifically because they were easy marks. Oh, absolutely. Because financial institutions at that time had little interest in working with women, especially single women, a.k.a. spinsters. Well, and I wonder, too, like how many of these women were single parents now, like from from the war and or no, that's way past it. Right. This was like years later. Yeah, it was years later. (laughs) She is 53. I know nothing. So that she was after Spence. But like, truly though, single moms, if banks weren't investing Uh in them. That makes sense. Oh, that's dirty. It's so dirty. Damn it. So despite not having any advertising... Word spread very quickly among working class women of the day in Boston. Oh, the working class. Yep. So the members had to be single women, not rich, who didn't own their own home. (laughs) Yeah. It's really bad. Yep. I'll refuse to solicit for clients, but she quietly opened her bank without any public announcement. So it was like it just kind of opened one day. And then she started getting clients. So her members could only be referred by other members of good standing. Sounds like they're part of a secret club. Yep. So her selectiveness made her really popular because it added a sorority-like feel to it. To people who were never going to be a part of that world. Yep. And especially amongst people who were like housekeepers, Uh other widows, and school teachers. So the minimum deposit you could make was $200. How much was that now? 5000 Oh, my God. Over $5,000 today. Oh, no. Yep. So that was the minimum that she would allow to have deposited. Oh, my gosh. With a maximum of 1000 $27,000 today. Gosh. And these are working class women. These are working class women. They're not rich women. So like I am expecting them to be people that would be like yeah. factory workers and teachers, nannies. Women that wouldn't typically have even $200 to give. Nope. You know, people like that who worked, you know, super long hours were probably very wary about using a bank in general. Yeah. Banks that didn't care about them. Yep. So... How often portrayed herself as this like maternal figure, which went against the stereotypes of the day because she was this woman who had her own business that was catering to other women. So it kind of went against the whole predatory actions that 
men would have used against women. And to kind of keep with that theme, she decorated her bank, quote unquote, in overtly feminine accents. And she used language such as, quote, overworked, ill-paid sisterhood to further engender herself with her clients. She's good. Like, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. I know. In there, girl. I know the struggle you're going through. In there, done that. She would also invite select members to join her for small talk and compliments, which was an experience that some depositors described as sympathetic because she would sit with them and listen to them. And they could talk to her. And compliment them. Small talk in compliments. Yep. Wow. I have never felt more seen and attacked. <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so Jane like, I wouldn't deal with that. I'd be like, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> okay. So by the end of the first year, the ladies deposit company had 1,200 members. She was able to receive $500,000 in deposits from cities as far away as Chicago, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. This is in Boston. Keep that in mind. Wow. And that number would be around $14 million today. Jeez, in a year. In a year. From basically doing nothing. Yep. And it was no advertising. All word of mouth. All word of mouth. Wow. So the returns she promised, the ways she like hooked these women in is she said they would get returns for as low as 2%, which is pretty good. Yeah. Before she rose that to 8% interest per month, which is an insane return. Like no one today would ever promise you an 8% return on anything. Right. Because that means basically your rate of return would end up doubling after about nine months. Yeah, nobody can guarantee that. No. Ever. <laughs> no. Nope. And to seal the deal, she would offer the first three months of their deposits up front. So she would say, okay, if you're depositing $200, I'm going to give you $600 up front for making this deposit. And that's something that no one would ever do. No. Ever. And so when they started asking, like, how are you able to do this? She would explain that the bank worked with a group of kind Quaker philanthropists who wished to help women of modest means. Wow, Quakers, huh? Yeah, it all comes back to the Quakers. Wow, they're not terrible after all. Yeah. Not just, not just about oats. And raisins. And racism. <laughs> and good Christian values. <laughs> no ankles. She also established really clever regulations on her clients' accounts where they could only withdraw up to a certain amount of interest that they had earned. The reasoning she would give the, her clients was to keep the women from, quote unquote, frivolously spending their money. Oh, because they're so dumb. Yeah. And delicate. Yeah. But they're not because she'd compliment them. Yeah. She'd be like, you're so smart and you're pretty, but you know what? I'm looking out for you because I'm a good mother figure. I'm only going to give you just enough money to live off of. Yeah. Because you're also kind of dumb. Yeah. You don't want to be dumb and poor, do you? Yeah. No, with that face. (laughs) (laughs) 
So this whole thing that she put into place, this special stipulation that she put into place protected her from anyone taking out large withdrawals because that would have toppled the complete house of cards. And because her organization was basically like this underground movement, Mm -hmm. because it was so hush hush, she was able to purchase herself a $50,000 mansion with a $20,000 cash down payment, which today would be like having, you know, a cool $5 million just chilling in your pocket. Wow. I got excited about the $1,200 stimulus check. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. $5 million in my pocket. I, no, I can't think about it. So as the company started to get more popular, mm-hmm. some of her clients attempted to withdraw their deposits. And that was the start of the whole unraveling of her elaborate scheme. Okay. I mean, it's bound to crumble at some point. Yep. So once Boston's first daily newspaper, the Boston Daily Advertiser, caught word of this women-only bank, they immediately wanted to investigate. Oh, absolutely. And they were only able to gain entry after one of their reporters disguised himself as a woman because they would not let any men inside this institution. How did he do that? Did did he just write to her? Was it kind of like... No, he actually like went inside the bank. So I don't know if they just had like a very effeminate looking reporter and they found a very clever disguise. Mrs. Doubtfire before Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, this checks out. This checks out. You look like me. (laughs) I'm going to fall in love with you. Just like Sally Fields. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point they were able to actually interview how herself And she explained that the bank was a, quote, Quaker Aid Society that was originally formed in Alexandria, Virginia. And that's how she was able to front the money to her investors, her depositors. Okay. So she has Quaker friends in Virginia Mm -hmm. funneling the money to Boston. Yes. And then on September 25th, 1880, the Boston Daily Advertiser began publishing articles calling out the bank as a swindle. Ooh, and they're in advertising. Mm-hmm. So by October of that year, so this is after just three weeks of investigation, the scheme completely collapsed after terrified and angry investors started demanding their money back. Oh, dang. So the district attorney ordered how to be arrested on October 16th, 1880 with bail set at $20,000. Nice. She was charged on five counts of cheating by false pretenses instead of fraud because her initial premise was that she was being funded by a charitable organization that didn't exist. So that was what she was charged of. So that was the more like solid, we've got her. Yeah. Versus like trying to prove fraud. Yeah. Because she was cheating under false pretenses and there were five former depositors that were taking her to court over this. So that's where the five counts come from. Okay. So on April 25th, 1881, Howe was charged with four counts of cheating by false pretenses. And she was forced to pay $150,000 in interest as well as $90,000 in principal. But obviously, the bank quickly ran out of money. 
Yeah, she didn't have that money. Yep, which ended in several investors losing up to $300,000. Oh. Guess how much time she served for this? A week. Three years. Wow. Because <laughs> uh, I bet, was it like a federal offense or was the cheating like a lesser offense too? I think it was a lesser offense. Of course it was. But on the flip side, of the men of the day jumped on this story. Like, how could a woman <laughs> devise such a scheme? Because women in the 1800s were supposed to be virtuous and pious and gentle. They weren't supposed to be crafty and devious and criminal. Right. Totally. Yeah. And on the flip side... They also use the story as an excuse to reinforce the idea that women shouldn't be trusted with money because of their, quote, childlike ignorance for falling for such an obvious scam. Oh, ow. Yeah. And the papers continued to further knock her down by berating her and attacking her character, by shit-talking her appearance, sexual history, and intelligence. Great. Yeah. So now we're going to go into the fallout. They found out her sexual history? I'm sure once they found out she had been in a mixed race relationship, that was just like... Mm, yeah. I could see that being a big story that they would run all the time. Right. Because she's not only a deviant, but she's trying to destroy the white pure Christian values. <laughs> How dare you use a Quaker? Oh, that was another thing I forgot to mention. They investigated that to make sure there wasn't actually a Quaker aid society. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we have no idea who this bitch is. Like, <laughs> like we know nothing about her. We do not have. But there was one. There wasn't one. It wasn't a thing. Okay. Because you said, yeah, we don't know her. So there wasn't like a Quaker in Virginia saying like, who? Nope. It was a complete, the whole thing was a complete fabrication. Okay. There was no Quaker Aid Society. Well, yeah, we kind of knew that that was the thing. Yeah. No Quaker that like, lived in Alexandria, Virginia, that was like, oh yeah, I know her. Yeah. So upon her release in 1884, Howe once again attempted the same scam by opening another bank called the Women's Bank in some elegant apartments on Concord Street. Same city. Same city. And it operated the exact same way, but the only change was that the interest rate was 7% instead of 8%. You know, modest. She's a modest lady. Yeah. She was able to successfully run the scam for two years. This is why we need the internet, okay? Right? This is why it's helpful. I know it's shit, like 99.999% of the time. (laughs) It's garbage, but you know... Siri and Google and fucking Cortana could have told you that this woman is not right. (laughs) Yep. Alexa, am I being scammed? So she ran the scheme for two years. Wow. That she was able to get $50,000 in deposits before the fraud was exposed in April of 1887. And when that happened, she fled Boston before she could be convicted. Smarter. So she was like, I've done this. She was like, bitch, I'm out. She like took the money and ran. And then she continued to try similar schemes in several other cities around the country, including Chicago with her ladies provident aid. They shut that down real quick. Yeah. Chicago's like, listen. (laughs) Yeah. Chicago doesn't fuck around. There's a lot of schemes happening here. We can uh, see yours from a mile away. Yeah. So 
Howe eventually returned to Boston, where she was arrested in December of 1888 for an outstanding warrant. She was released in March of 1889 due to the fact that former depositors refused to testify against her in court. Really? Yeah. They just were they just too embarrassed or like couldn't afford to probably fall? Yeah. I don't know if it was a matter of they were embarrassed or if they actually liked her and didn't want to I don't know. It didn't really say. That's weird. All I know is that yeah, they refused to testify against her in court. I'm sure part of it had to do with being embarrassed, like you said. They probably did not want to be acknowledged publicly for falling for this scam. One okay, so Concord, is that like a nicer suburb? Concord Street? Yeah. Where she had her second one? Yeah. Both the places where she quote unquote built her banks were in like nicer parts of town. Nicer parts of Boston. Yeah. So they're probably like too embarrassed to say that they fell for it. Or they were so broke that they couldn't afford to go against her. Yeah, it could be either. Yeah, I would imagine if she had basically wiped them out, they wouldn't have the funds to no. prosecute her, especially considering that was what. That's what got those other women. That was only five years after she was originally arrested. And yeah. So after um, she was released from prison, she returned to her first profession as a fortune teller and charged 25 cents a reading until her death in Boston in January 26th, 1892, where she died at the age of 65, penniless and alone. It's pretty old for the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what, I mean, she might have been penniless, but she had quarters. She had all these quarters. She had all the quarters. You can't say she was penniless. Maybe she didn't have any pennies. She just had all the quarters. Yeah. She was, but they don't use quarterless as a, as a saying. Well, and I read online that she, I think she was living in a boarding house when she passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people that lived there like knew who she was and she adamantly refused up until the day she died. That was her. Yeah, she refused to acknowledge that she had done anything wrong. She's like, I didn't do that. I didn't do what they said I did. So there are so many people that are like that. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a... Uh, common thread in the stories like this that we tell. So that is the story of Sarah Howe and the Ladies Deposit Company. Wow. The OG Ponzi scheme. Shitty. (laughs) Yeah. How did she do it? She used her feminine wiles. And lavender scented doilies. And her compliments. I wonder if they were backhanded because that would have been more effective. effective. You're poor and you're ugly, (laughs) but I can help you change one of those things. I can make you less poor. Less poor. So you can buy some nice scarves to hide your ugly face. Are there any books or shows or podcasts that are not this one that you have listened to recently that have brought you joy? I don't know. I was watching Bob's Burgers right before this. And I forget how like how much of how much it's like brain candy where you can just kind of shut off your brain and it's really relaxing and the jokes are always really clever like um you know how they change in the opening credits where they always change the like right hand storefront and then like the pest control is always different too i think the one for the latest episode i watched um said something about like squishing the rats like the rat squisher or something oh god (laughs) but yeah i i've been watching bob's burgers i've been um listening to no I've been listening to Haunted Places 
Have you ever listened to Haunted Places? Mm-mm. But I like the guy's voice um, who narrates it. And he always like, he'll do different voices for like females and like, I don't know. I just think it's kind of funny. At first I thought it was cheesy. I would, I've usually prefer this kind of setup where people are just talking and not really acting. Cause I've tried to get down with some of the podcasts where they're like, it's clearly a bunch of voice actors doing some like mm-hmm. really campy, like, yeah, they're like doing a retelling of a murder and they're like, bless my soul. It's like, no, no, <laughs> Sharon, like, Fuck off. Someone get the smelling salts. That's not how it went. It's not how it went. (laughs) But for some reason, this guy won me over and I like to listen to his voice. And they always talk about um, when they talk about haunted scenes, they like write what it would be like for the, the people to experience it as is. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of fun. I like to listen to those while I'm taking a bath. So it's not relaxing. I don't know why I do it. (laughs) You would think that I would be listening to something way more soothing, like music or like fucking, I don't know, something much better than like a haunted podcast. But I'm like, (gasps) how many people were murdered? (laughs) Like, wow, (laughs) just laying in my, you know, orange and lotus smelling bath salts. There you go. So, yeah. There you go. What about you? Thomas and I are really late to the party and we're in the midst of watching Tiger King. We have three episodes left at the time of this recording. I don't think I've seen the last episode because they added one after I saw it. Yeah, it's like a, it looks like an interview type of episode. It's got Joel McHale for some reason. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if I would say it as like that Tiger King is a show that's bringing me joy. It's like watching a train wreck. Oh my God, this was the thing I wanted to talk to you about. I just remembered. Okay. Do you follow the National Cowboy Museum on Twitter? Yes. I love him so much. I know. (laughs) Hashtag, the hashtag. Hashtag the cowboy. Like, oh God, Tim, I love him so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's all like an elaborate thing. But I don't think it started out that way, though. Yeah. I think it was pretty, like, I mean, I just view it as this wholesome thing. I, I am going with the assumption that He's just this older gentleman who doesn't know a lot about technology, mm-hmm. who's just going through the museum, sharing pictures and little quips. He was asked to do it. He was asked to do it by marketing because they couldn't be in the building yep. anymore. And he had to be there because he like. Is security. Uh, he's security. He's there, security. So, he has, so he has to be there. And it's just... He always um, shout outs his grandchildren. That's the best. Yeah. Oh my God. They have hats now. They have hats now that say hashtag, hashtag the the cowboy on them. And one of the recent... Did you see one of my favorite photos was him like at doing the selfie stance, but he like did the photo wrong. (laughs) I can't remember if it was like just 
the upper part of his face or like a really bad angle shot, but when he was no, he took the picture of the feet. Yeah, he took the picture of the feet prints on the bottom for the selfie shot. He took a selfie by the selfie shot. That's what it was. (laughs) Oh God. So nice. It's just really really wholesome. And it's stuff like that that just make me so happy. Like I was reading some of the jokes that he tweeted out recently. So uh, what did the cowboy say to the pencil? I don't know. Draw. (laughs) That's such a good dad joke. (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) That's awesome. It's so good. It's such good quality content. So if you are not currently following the National Cowboy Museum on Twitter. Do it. Please, please check them out. It'll just warm the deepest, darkest cockles of your heart and make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I'm going to use that as my thing that I'm happy about. Not not Tire King. I'm going to use that. That's my thing. It's a good thing. And I really want to add that as a place to go to on my bucket list now. Oh, absolutely. Where is it? It's in Texas. Now I gotta look because I want to know. I really want to go to Dolly World. Dollywood. 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 Although she likes butterflies and I think I am wrong. I am wrong and I apologize. It is in Oklahoma City. Okay. We should go. We should go. Oklahoma's not that far away. We should also go to Dollywood, but she likes butterflies, and butterflies are just garbage insects with wings. I <laughs> can't believe. Don't at me. They're you... disgusting. <laughs> I can't believe that you do not like butterflies. It's in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And you know what? It's actually not that expensive to go into this museum. No, it's only twelve fifty for an adult. Let's take the train. Let's take the train. Go to Oklahoma City. Dreaming big. Yeah. On that note, you can find us online at yeoldcrimepodcast.com and follow us on social media at yeoldcrimepodcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us at yeoldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to give you a challenge if you are going to email us i would like to hear what sort of old-timey stories you think we should cover or if you have any old-timey stories in your history that you would like to share or any fun ghost stories or paranormal things or murdery goodness feel free to share and on that note i'm Lindsay, and i'm madison and we'll see you next time with Another tale. As old as crime. Yeah! We nailed it! I was so frantically looking 